the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas have begun their missionary journey travels through Salamis, Paphos, Perga, and Antioch in Pisidia, encountering both open hearts and opposition. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 13, verse 6. The title of the message is, The Power of God's Word. All right, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Remember the whole theme of the book of Acts is that Jesus is still working uh, through his church and in the same way that he's going to work today through us. And as we leave here and, and use us, he's still working. But in particular, in chapter 13, having heard from the Holy Spirit, remember the, the focus is now moved away from Jerusalem now to Antioch as the church that sends off Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. Having heard from the Spirit, Paul and Barnabas have begun their first missionary journey together. It will be their only one together. Eventually, Paul will launch off on his own with other individuals and Barnabas and he will go their separate way. But their initial outreach, as we saw, began at Cyprus. That was Barnabas's homeland in the sense of where he had lived most of his life. And so they go there, and eventually it's going to take them to Asia Minor, the place where Paul will become very active in the book of Acts. Now, everywhere they go, they bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teaching of God's word. In fact, the word of God, that phrase, is mentioned more in this chapter than in any other of the book of Acts, showing the prominent part that it played here at the very start of their ministry. This is where they began. This is what they did. Well, that makes sense because we hear Paul instructing his protege, Timothy, later on, right before Paul's death, that last letter of 2 Timothy, and he says there in that last chapter he wrote to Timothy, he says, preach the word. Preach the word, because the sharing of God's word coupled with the power of God's spirit is the only thing that can change a person's life. I don't know about you, but it was when God's word was spoken to me. That's what breathed life into me. When God's word came in and I started to see and understand where I was in comparison to what God wanted, it brought conviction, it challenged me in my walk with the Lord. And so my heart today is that it would do the same as well. So chapter 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 6. And they come to Salamis first, where they preach the word there. But now in verse 6, it says, And when they had gone through the isle, so they minister throughout the entire isle of Cyprus. And now they get, it says, unto Paphos. Paphos was the administrative center of Cyprus. It would be the largest city that would be there. It contained the residence of the Roman governor. It was famous for its ancient temple to Astarte, later converted by the Greeks to the worship of Aphrodite. So it was a, a rough town in that sense, rough city. 
And it mentions that there they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus, or it just means the son of Joshua, the son of Jesus. Jesus' real name was Joshua. Jesus is just the Greek form of Joshua. And so this guy here, this sorcerer, this false prophet, they find him there, and he was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So they're invited to meet with this leader, but it mentions that with this guy, this guy, Sergius Paulus, was a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. Now, the word sorcerer there, it's the same word used for the Magi, the ones who came to visit Jesus. These were the descendants of the Chaldeans, the political advisors from Daniel's day, often seen as kingmakers and wise counselors. Pliny, the Roman historian, he wrote that the island of Cyprus in particular was overrun with these Jewish magicians who followed Zoroastrianism. So this guy, Elimus, either he comes from this long lineage of kingmakers, or as I think Luke tends to point out here, he's just posing as one, because it mentions he's a false prophet. Uh, It's my guess that he was probably a huckster, a phony. He probably did certain things that would legitimize his title, but it really wasn't who he was. But somehow he has found the ear of this governor. Uh, The word here, deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, he was the proconsul. Those were guys who had served previously as consuls, who were the highest elected political officials in the Roman Empire. And when they had served their term and they would finish up, they were the only ones who were qualified to be placed in Asia or Africa as ruling officials over a senatorial region. So this would be someone who was quite a powerful individual at one time in the Roman Empire. And it says here that he was a prudent man. He was an intelligent guy. He was a learned, educated guy. And he desired to hear the word of God. So Saul and Barnabas had to have made quite an impression in their evangelism there in the city for word to have reached this leader. And you know what I love here? Notice what he had heard about. He didn't hear about just how many miracles Paul did. He didn't hear about how many awesome things, how big the, the church was that was started there in Paphos or something along those lines. He wanted to hear the word of God. He had heard some things that had piked his attention and he wanted to hear more about them. And that's what people need, guys. We don't have to have all the answers to all the things out there that we as Christians sometimes get stumbled by. They need to hear the word of truth. They need to hear the word of God. That's the thing that's going to change their life. So let's give it to them. Well, it mentions here in in verse eight, but Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, he withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Apparently as Saul and Barnabas are sharing with this guy Sergius, he's really responding well to the sermon or the message or the the answers that they're giving to his questions. And as they're sharing the word of God, and then this guy begins to interject himself. He begins to withstand Paul and Barnabas. The word there means to actively apply pressure or power. He begins to now try to mislead, to turn away the Sergius from the truth. Well, Sergius, you know, that's not all the truth. Let me share some things with you that I've heard about this guy, Jesus. And so as he's trying to keep this guy from coming to faith, Paul sees that. And so verse 9 says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. He starts to bore a hole in this guy's face. He just stares at him. He's like, really? (laughs) He just begins to set his eyes on him. And he's probably thinking, Lord, we got to do something about this guy. He's getting in the way. Now, real quick, we passed over it quickly because it just says it almost inconsequentially. Then Saul, who is also called Paul. From this point forward, Saul will be called Paul in the book of Acts. Now, why the name change? 
Well, growing up in the Hellenistic city of Tarsus and being a natural-born Roman citizen, it required Paul to have both a Greek and a Hebrew name. In fact, he would have three Greek names. We don't know what the other two would have been. But he came to be known as Paul because his ministry was primarily to Greek speakers. He was ministering outside of the realm of Judaism for the most part. And as a result, that's how he came to be known. So it just right here, Luke begins to call him Paul because that was the name that more people would recognize him by. And it mentions here that he was filled with the Holy Ghost. The word there means being completely filled. He was filled to the brim with the Spirit at this moment in time. And to be honest, I don't know if I could ever say something like he's about to say unless I was sure I was 100% filled with the Spirit at this moment. I remember I taught this one time and someone said, that's what we need more of. We need to tell people off. You know, and I thought, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if we need to go walk around making people blind. Maybe that's the new ministry we're supposed to have. Calvary Chapel make you blind if you don't get saved. I don't know, but I'm not signing up for that. He was filled with the Spirit, so he could say this correctly. The Bible talks about be angry and sin not. How hard is that to do, though, right? I don't know about you, but most of the time, if I'm angry, I'm in sin. (laughs) There are those moments, I know, you know, when you see something wrong and it just, this righteous anger wells up where you just, it's for the wrongdoing and not at a person. But most of the time, when I'm mad, I'm mad at somebody. And it's hard. And I think it would be hard to do this as well, what Paul's about to do. So I don't know this is necessarily an example of how we should do evangelism. But filled with the Holy Ghost, he set his eyes on him and he said to him, oh, full of all subtlety. In contrast to Paul being filled with the Spirit, Eliamus is full of something else and, and it's of subtlety. He's of mischief. The word there, subtlety, means to deceive by using trickery. Mischief means fraud or villainy. This guy's a crook, basically. He's, he's absolutely false. He calls him, you child of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. There was one time I did this my wife thought I was a little insane. My neighbor had just gotten saved. Pretty rough, pretty rough guy. He had just gotten saved, and his sister, who he lived with, was saved. And uh, and we would talk all the time. And and this guy, you know, he was he's kind of having had a rough time. And and then he got saved. And so I would get home, and and he'd be out working in the yard. And and I'd get home from work, and I'd come out, and he told me he said I gave my life to Christ. And so we started having these conversations. Baby Christian though, didn't know the word. And so I'm just pouring into him and encouraging him, and you know, trying to just challenge him in his walk with the Lord. And about three weeks after. After he got saved, I was home one day. It was a Saturday, and I looked out the window, and I saw him coming, Jehovah's Witnesses. And Jehovah's Witnesses were there, and, and I see him coming that way, and I see he's out in the yard, and I'm thinking, no, no, he doesn't know any better at this point. They're going to get him. And so I come running out the door, and I'm like, no, no, David, don't listen to him. These guys are false prophets. And then, of course... <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if I'd do that again. But my heart was just so broken for this guy and I didn't want him to be deceived. And so I just, I wanted the attention to be on me. You know, come over here and talk to me. You know, don't mess with a baby. And, uh, and, and it worked. <laughs> they were not happy with me. So, you know, and they came over and wanted to come talk to me and, and, uh, and that was fine. So, uh, you know, and then I got to talk to him afterwards and I says, beware, not everybody who names the name of Christ is his. And, uh, but I wouldn't recommend doing that for the most part. <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert or lead people astray from the right ways of the Lord? And you know, it's interesting, that last part there, there's grace there. Because this is a legitimate question designed to give Elimus one last shot to repent before God intervenes. Elimus unfortunately doesn't take it. And says in verse 11, and now behold, and that, that phrase, and now behold, it, it shows you there was a pause there. How, are you going to continue to try to lead people astray when you know it's not even true? 
Oh, okay, I guess you're going to go there. Then fine. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. That's a Greek euphemism for blindness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Now, this might seem harsh, but realize Paul did give him an opportunity to repent. The Lord loves everybody, but man, don't come between him and those that want to know him. Don't ever come between him and those that want to know him. Jesus said it'd be better for that person to put a millstone around their neck and throw themselves into the sea. And I don't think he was being exaggerating. I don't think he was being facetious. Don't get in the way of me and my people. That's one of the most dangerous things about the idea that there's any other mediator between Jesus. You are coming between him and his bride. He says, don't get in my way. (laughs) I died so nothing would be in the way. I died so that veil could be torn in two and that you could enter in. So don't get in the way. I am not your mediator. Sorry to disappoint you. You can go right to Jesus. You can open up your Bible and he could teach you each and every day. He could speak to your heart. You can hear his voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And I am known of them and they're known by me. That relationship that's there. I always just say, we're leaders then. We're just sheepdogs. We just kind of point people to Jesus. That's all we are. You bark at them a little bit because they're getting off track. Get back on track, you know? Jesus, he said it'd be better for you to put a millstone, but God is being merciful here, blinding him like he did. Because, you know, it's interesting. That's what he did to Paul, didn't he? Blinded him to get his attention. God could have wiped him out right here, but he didn't. Verse 12, then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed, being astonished. But notice what he's astonished at, the doctrine of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? It was the teaching. In the end, it was God's teaching, the the teaching of God's word that moved him to salvation. This miracle was just kind of the final nudge he needed to push him over to a decision. And sometimes we want to be profound. We want to say something magnificent, something that will be the thing that they need to hear that will turn them over and make them all of a sudden go, oh, I need to repent and receive Christ. Even Jesus said that any miraculous signs, they just follow after our preaching of the word. God knows if someone needs that miracle to give them a a final nudge. But our goal, our focus is to preach the word, right? To, To share the truth with them. That's what our goal is. Well, we move on from here, verse 13 says, now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So they sail now, they set sail from Cyprus to the southern central area or western central area of Asia Minor, and they land there in Perga in Pamphylia. Perga was the religious capital of ancient Pamphylia. It housed a renowned temple to Artemis, but no preaching is mentioned here. In fact, the only major event that's recorded in Perga is John Mark's deserting the company to return to Jerusalem. And I use the word deserting because that's how Paul saw it. Why did he leave? We don't know. The historically passed down reason is that this trip was just too Gentile for him. He thought, man, I I got into Cyprus and we saw the Aphrodite stuff and that was too much. And now he he gets to Perga and he sees the temple to Artemis. He's like, I'm done. This is way too Gentile for me. I'm going back where everything's kosher. I'm going home to mom. And of course, that's where the church met in Jerusalem, his mom's house. 
Some people have accused him. I think it was Chris Ostrom said he just missed his mom. I don't know if that's the case, but uh, we don't know why, but he did leave, and it greatly upset Paul to the point that Paul did not want him coming again with him. He said, no, that guy's a deserter. He came along because we needed help, and he was our personal assistant, and I'm not taking him again because he was unfaithful. We'll get to that in Acts, and maybe I'll talk about that then. Paul's an interesting cat. I love the Bible because I look at it and I go, I'm not so bad. (laughs) The stuff I think sometimes, the stuff I do sometimes, I'm like, they were just like me. They had had attitude problems and they had false expectations, you know, and and blew it sometimes. And I I love that about the heroes of of our Bible. That's, you know, tonight we're going to look at Abraham and, you know, Abraham's the father of our faith, right? (laughs) He had some issues too, so, well... Well, from here they travel as John leaves, and in verse 14 they depart from Perga. They come to Antioch and Pisidia, and this is one of those 16 Antiochs that were founded by the Seleucid Empire before Rome defeated them, whereupon when Rome took over, this became the capital of southern Galatia, one of their the Roman provinces. And it says, they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, that's their normal thing to do, and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, so going through the normal steps of the synagogue worship service, they saw Paul and Barnabas here, these leaders, and they sent unto them saying, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation, hey, tell us. I mean, we are so honored to have you here as our guests. Um, This would not be uncommon for traveling visitors if you came from afar. Hey, what's going on? Has the Lord taught you anything? Can you share with us? However, it was especially normal for Paul, considering that he was a renowned rabbi and a former member of the Sanhedrin. And when you saw Paul, the word Paul actually means little or little one or diminutive one. He was most historical renditions of Paul label him as about five feet tall. He's a short guy. When you see him getting all crazy, you kind of picture him with short. It's kind of kind of comical when you think about what God did, but he was very recognizable. And so as a result, they saw this is Paul that's here. And so he would always be invited to speak. Many synagogues, they were just delighted to give an opportunity to share with them. And you know, uh, Paul took full advantage of this. Having this open door to share anywhere he went shows how much sense it made to come to the synagogue first because not only would then he be able to have an open door to preach the gospel to the Jews who were there, which was his heart first, but any God-fearing Gentiles would provide the bridge to reach the city. He could start with them, those who were already interested in the God of the Bible, those who were already interested in the God of the Israelites. He would be able to preach to them as well and then use that as a bridge to reach the rest of the city. Being dependent upon the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we don't make good plans for reaching the lost. I think it's our good plans in the sense of as we pray and we seek the Lord and he lays things on our heart and then we plan things out and lay them at his feet and ask him to alter them if he wants and then we move forward in a step of faith. Well, verse 16, Paul stood up and he beckoned with his hand. He's, he's ready to give this oration And he says, men of Israel and you that fear the Lord, give audience. Ye that fear God, this would refer to those Gentile listeners who hadn't become Jewish proselytes yet. They were interested, but they didn't feel like getting circumcised or keeping all the dietary laws, but they were interested in their God. And so he addresses both groups, which would be not normal. And he addresses both of them and he says, give audience, which means it's imperative in the Greek, which is a command, which means you must listen to what I have to say. In other words, I do have a word of exhortation, and it's the most important word you'll ever hear, so perk up. This is important. And you know what, guys? We have the most important message mankind needs to hear, amen? 
It's the most important message. Don't ever give in to the lie of the enemy who says, oh, they don't want to hear this, or don't bother them with that, or they're too busy right now. We have a glorious gospel, and it is the power of God into salvation. Nothing else. It's what people need to hear. You know, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in that gospel message, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's important. And we should never be ashamed of sharing it with somebody. Now, this is the first recorded sermon of Paul that we have in the scriptures, and it's long, but it's fascinating because of its similarities to the sermon Peter preached on Pentecost. It's so similar, and it shows you that the early church, they, when they were preaching the gospel, they hit certain things. If you're ever called upon any time to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, you need to hit certain things, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. So Paul says, give ear, give audience, and then he says, he begins, verse 17, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of 40 years, he suffered their manners in the wilderness. It says that he suffered their manners. And I usually think of suffering somebody means I need to put up with them. But the word there can also mean to care for. And you know, I'm so glad that God does both those things. I'm so glad that he puts up with a lot for me and he still loves me and he still cares for me. I'm so glad that his heart is always toward me. Aren't you glad for God's patient care in your life? God is so good. He put up with them, but he also cared for them in the midst of putting up with them. You know, some people we just put up with, but the Lord doesn't just put up with. He loves us dearly and deeply. It says in verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. So he's giving them a history lesson here. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And so God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So he takes them from all the way back to the beginning of their time in Egypt, all the way up to David. And, and the idea that he's trying to convey here is, is to show that God had a goal. And each step that he took with them, he bore with them and cared for them. He had a goal in mind. And the goal was where he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. David is held in this high esteem and every wonderful event in Israel's history, even something so grand as David, though, it all led to a man who would truly fulfill all of God's desire. It all led to the ultimate goal of sending the Messiah. And so Paul proclaims, now he starts here in verse 23, he says, of this man's seed, David, has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. And so Paul explains, you know, we have this rich history of God doing all these things for us, and yet in each and every movement of where we were in our history, it was all to bring us to this point of Jesus. And so Paul proclaims, that's why I'm here. I'm here to announce that God's goal is finally achieved. Jesus has come. Now, this would catch them a little off guard. It'd be like all of a sudden me showing up and going, hey, Jesus came back today. Now you'd know I was a false prophet because we're here. But the point being is that that's the type of seriousness of the announcement that the Messiah has come. 
These are the things that was the hope of every Jew. The Messiah's come. Well, how come I didn't know about it yet? Why am I just finding out about it from you? And so Paul, they probably heard some stories, but not the full story. And so after dropping this bomb on them, Paul is going to explain. He's going to give them the full rundown. And he starts right at the beginning with John the Baptist, someone they would all have heard of as well and be very familiar with. So verse 24 says, Now when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom do you think that I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Now this would be something they had heard, something they were familiar with. As they would make that trek and that trip to Jerusalem, they would have heard about this guy out in the desert who's saying the Messiah is coming. So he's building this argument and showing that, that as he's introduced Jesus to them, it's not just his idea that John the Baptist had said that he was not the Messiah, but he was preparing the way for the Messiah. And therefore, this is a word of exhortation, but it's so much more. It's a word of salvation. And so in verse 26, he says, men and brothers, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you that fears God, to you is this word of salvation sent. To you, he says. Not just to the world, but to you, the individuals that were sitting there, the Gentile God-fearers and the Jewish people who were there. It was for them. The gospel is personal. If you're here today, do you know that God loves you? That you're not here by mistake? That he cares about you? That he's intimately interested in your life? He's saying God loves you dearly and deeply, and he wants you to hear this message of salvation. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.